0: Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help or if you need prayer of any kind, you can text the keyword, I need help to 31996. Or if you give your life to the Lord, we would love to know. You can text the keyword, I said yes, to that same number, 31996. Someone from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. All right. All right. Well, good morning. Good morning. Um, If this is your first time here, I am not Pastor Randy. Uh, Like I said earlier, my name's Christine, but I am so glad to be with you all. This morning, our senior pastor, he is, as they say, across the pond, and he is a blessing another church over there as they celebrate, um, I think I heard it was 35 years of ministry, which is outstanding. He's over there with David Flanders, who was here just a couple weeks ago, brought us a fantastic message. And so while we miss him, we are glad that he gets to be over there um, ministering and spending time with them. So we love you. We honor you, Pastor Randy. We're so grateful for the way that you lead our church. And we hope you have a fantastic time, and we look forward to having you back very soon. But in the meantime, I get to be with you all today. Oh, thank you. And, uh, you know, the Lord gave me a message back at the beginning of the year that, that uh, I got to bring to our staff in a staff chapel back in January. And every time that I've been invited to bring a message, you know, I've kind of been like, oh, I got one in the pocket, you know, like I'm ready to go. But I never felt like the Lord was saying, yeah, that's the one. He always seemed to lead me in a different direction. But today, as I was praying about what the Lord would have me uh, bring to you, I felt like he said, it's time for this one. And so I wanna talk to you about one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And that is the story... Of Hannah. The story of Hannah. And I'm calling today's message resilient faith. Resilient faith because I think that's what we see when we look at the life of Hannah. And I'm calling it resilient faith because resilience, it refers to a person's ability to withstand or recover from difficult conditions. And it's talking about when you're constrained or you are compressed under difficult circumstances. It's about your ability to come back, to come back from them. And I think that's what we see in the life of Hannah. And so we're talking about her resilient faith. And I love the story of Hannah because it's a very real story. And I'm grateful that our Bible doesn't present us people who are so perfect and who lack all struggles and who just nail everything on the very first try. You know, like I'm grateful that our Bible gives us stories of real people who go through real difficult situations because it reminds us that they're human and we're human and that we are all trying to get a little bit better Every single day, a little bit closer to the Lord, like him every single day. And the narrative about Hannah, you know, it doesn't tell us much about her actually, except it gives us one backstory and it says that the Lord had closed her womb. But it does tell us a lot about Hannah's circumstances in what was going on in her life. It tells us a lot about what she had to endure, not just the fact that her womb had been closed, but about the people she had to deal with why she was having this crisis of identity. And it also shows us the types of choices that she made in light of her experiences. And so if you have your Bibles... I wanna invite you to open them to 1 Samuel or you can pull it up on your app or if you don't have either, that's fine because it's gonna be on the Sky Bible behind me on the screen and you can read it along. But as you're going there, I'm gonna pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is life to our heart, to our mind and to our souls, Lord. We thank you. That in your word, you are not only just giving us Bible stories, Lord, you are revealing something about yourself. You are revealing something about your character. You are revealing something about your goodness and your faithfulness to us, Lord. So as we read scripture, would you help us to know you better? Would you help us to see you in the middle of Hannah's story? So Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask you now, would you give us ears to hear and a heart to receive what it is that you have to say. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So Hannah's story is is kind of long and uh, we're gonna read a lot of scripture this morning because we're gonna look at her uh, her story. And so, you know, it, it marks your quota for the day, amen. Okay, so we're gonna start in verse one and the first part, we're gonna go to verse eight. And it says, there was a certain man of Ramathiam Zophim. Can you tell I've been practicing? I practiced a lot. Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohim, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph, an Ephrathite. If you need names for your children, there's an entire family's <laughs> worth of names. So there you go, check it off the list. He had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? We're gonna stop there. <laughs> As we like say in Texas, bless his heart. Bless his heart. Now, you know, I love me some context. So let's put this story into context because the story of Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, it is one narrative story about the prophet, the prophet of Samuel. And what we see in this is that the story of Samuel, it doesn't begin with him stepping onto the scene. And so we have to ask, what is the importance of the prophet's story actually starting with Hannah? What's the importance that Hannah would be the beginning of Samuel's story. Well, it's important because Israel is actually at a very pivotal point in their history. What, what the, the the time frame that this is around is similar to the book of Judges, which comes before First and Second Samuel. And Judges twenty one verse twenty five it's the very last verse in the book of Judges. It tells us what it was like in Israel, and it says, "And Israel had no king." And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone in Israel just did whatever they found to be right. And that's where Samuel's story begins. That's where we see Hannah introduced because what God is going to do is God is going to use Samuel to radically shift the trajectory of his people, of the Israelite people. And I think that Samuel's story begins with Hannah for a very good reason. And that is that the most important things in our lives, they usually don't just happen. They don't just come to us. Sometimes the most important things in our life, they come about through a lot of travailing they come about through a lot of struggle a lot of prayer and i think that's why samuel's story starts with hannah because hannah is not just unable to have a child at this point that's part of her story but hannah's struggle is bigger than that because she's she's not just unable to have a child she has a panina she has a sister wife. And if that bothers you, it should. Because I know there's a lot of times when we read scripture and we're like, yeah, that doesn't really seem <laughs> like that's what God said to do, right? You're right. But here's the thing. If you, if you saw my message from just shortly after Easter, where we talk about what the Bible is and how we should read it and interpret it. What we know to be true is that the Bible accurately records stories. Yes. It accurately records it, which means that it's not changing history on us. So just because we read it in scripture, that doesn't mean that God condoned it or even commanded it. But it's a cultural that we see happening, remember how judges ended and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And that's what we see Elkanah doing here. And there's a reason for his choice. And that is often because childbearing was a security for a family. This was still an extremely patriarchal culture. And so for a man to have a child, particularly a son, meant that his livelihood, the things that he had accumulated over time, his land, his business, he would pass down to his child and his lineage would be carried on through the son. For a woman, having a child, particularly a son, meant that should her husband pass away, she had somebody to take care of her. She had somebody to look after her. And because Hannah couldn't have children, most likely it was permitted for Elkanah to take on another wife because his first wife couldn't provide him an heir. And now Hannah is stuck between a rock and a hard place because not only can she not have a child, but if her husband passes away, she's dependent on the mercies of the son of her sister wife. And she has to hope that he would be merciful to her and to care for her. And here she finds her sister wife is not only able to bear children, but she is intentionally and purposefully vindictive at every opportunity that she can to torment Hannah. And here they are, you know, they've come to Shiloh to do their sacrifices. And I imagine they're like sitting at the table, and Panina's with all of her rowdy, you know, undisciplined children running around crazy. And they've got their food in front of them. And, and Hannah is sitting there by herself with a probably a mound of meat because she's received a double portion just for herself. And Panina is sitting there tormenting her. And she's saying things like if Elkie just looks at me, I get pregnant. (laughs) I, you know, it is such a burden. It is such a burden to bear. But I guess it's probably better than being cursed, you know? Like, I mean, not that I would know what that's like. You would, though. What's that like, Hannah? What's it like to be cursed? Because back then, the thought was, If you couldn't have a child, you're cursed by the Lord himself. He's punishing you for something maybe your parents or your grandparents did, or maybe something you haven't confessed. He's withholding something from you because he doesn't think you deserve it. He's punishing you. And Penina used to let her have it every chance that she got. And Hannah didn't just have a panina, she had an Elkanah. She had a husband who tried to make her feel better. He, she had a husband who tried, right? Whenever somebody that we love is hurting, we try to help them. We, we wanna say something that would just fix the pain, but he, bless his heart, he just, he just barrels right over it because here's the thing. I, I know, like it said in, in, in scripture, he loved Hannah with all of his heart. He was not trying to be intentionally vindictive by any means, but he could not resonate with the depth of her pain. And so he just didn't know what to do with it. He couldn't just sit with her in her pain. He had to try and like, well, let's just get over it. Eat some meat, get better, right? (laughs) Right? And although, although my husband makes a fantastic steak that if I was sad would probably make me feel a lot better and a good walk outside, you know, some vitamin D can really brighten the mood. Hannah is at a point where what she needs is not a good steak and a walk outside, Hannah has something going on on the inside of her heart that really speaks to an unsatisfied longing that nothing can fix. Something on the inside of Hannah that says, This can't be it for me. Surely this is not how my story is going to end something on the inside of her that says I know everything inside of me longs to see this everything inside of me desires this I was made for this is this really all there is for me and this is the first choice that we see Hannah make in her story, in her story of resilient faith. And that is that Hannah had resilient faith in her suffering. She had resilient faith in her suffering because resilient faith, it doesn't pretend like suffering doesn't hurt. Resilient faith doesn't just stuff down the pain and say, everything's fine, it's not a big deal, it's all right. God never wrote scripture that says, thou shalt not admit to suffering and thou shalt never bring thine complaints to me. There's no such scripture. Actually, what you see often in scripture is God encouraging his people to weep, encouraging his people to admit that what you're going through is a hard that what you're experiencing hurts, that it matters. And not only do we see him invite us to admit that what we're going through is hard, but he invites us to bring it straight to him. He invites us into his presence. And Jesus says in Matthew 11, he even says, come to me all who are burdened and heavy and I will give you rest. He invites us to bring our burdens to him and our difficult circumstances. And this is actually, it's a Christian discipline called lament. It's the action of lament. And it is biblical to bring our suffering and our confusion and our frustration to the Lord. We see it in Psalms all over the place. And we see it, there's an entire book of the Bible called Lamentations. It's biblical and it's there because the Lord invites us in. Resilient faith does not withdraw from the Lord and our suffering, it actually runs to him in the middle of it. And what it means is that it can, we can bring our complaints to God. We can bring them to the Lord. We can bring our anger to God. We can bring our confusion to God. And we can bring those unsatisfied longings on the inside of our heart to him again and again and again. And never is he going to say, seriously, you're coming to me again? We're talking about this? No, that's not the heart of the Lord. No, the Lord says, come on, bring it to me again. If you need me to walk through it with you again, we'll walk through it together. He invites us to come and lament before him. Why would he do that? Well, if you heard Pastor Randy's message last week, it's because he's a good father who cares. He cares so deeply about your experience. He cares so deeply about your pain. He cares so deeply if you are suffering. I love what Psalm 56, eight says. It says, you have taken account of my sorrows. You have put my tears in your bottle. You have recorded every one of them. Psalm thirty-four eighteen says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. He saves them because he's near to them, so near that he reaches out his hand to save them, those who are crushed in spirit. And you may have been raised in a way where you were taught not to express emotion. And you may be hearing this and thinking, well, that's just emotionalism. That is just getting carried away with feelings, feelings, that kind of thing, right? But I want you to know it's actually not a sign of great holiness that you can pretend like your suffering does not hurt. It doesn't make you more holy to say that what you're going through doesn't matter, to say that it doesn't hurt you. That doesn't make it more holy. Yes. It doesn't. But what we see in Scripture is that we have emotions because God Himself has emotions, and we are made in His image. Scripture describes God as getting righteously angry that he is jealous for the affection of his children, that he mourns with us when we are hurt and broken. Scripture shows us that he laughs. Scripture shows us that he sings. Scripture shows us that he dances. So do what you want with that. (laughs) But pretending like pain doesn't hurt. It actually diminishes the eternal hope that we have in Christ. Now, the eternal hope itself is not diminished, but it diminishes our reception of the weight of it. It diminishes our view of the need for it. If we have no great pain, why would we have a need for a great hope? When I was 25, I went through, I would, I would call it a, a crisis of faith. It was a turning point moment In my life, because my husband and I experienced a failed adoption. And it's a very long story for another day. But we had the room ready. We had the bag in the car. The baby was born and she changed her mind. And to us, it felt like a death but more so than his sweet mom deciding to raise him herself. I wasn't mad at her. I was mad at God. Because leading up to that point, man, the Lord opened so many doors and provided the exact amount of money that we needed to to pay a lawyer. Everything came into alignment. If there was a hurdle, it it was brought low. If there was an obstacle, man, it stepped right out of the way. And then when she changed her mind, it felt like the Lord himself was the one who pulled the rug out from underneath me. And I couldn't fathom how this God that was supposed to be good could feel so vindictive. How this God who's supposed to, you know, he he had provided everything could be the one to pull the rug out from underneath us. I couldn't make sense of how the God I read about in scripture could be the God that put me through this pain. And for months, I spent time trying to convince myself that it didn't hurt, that it was okay, that it didn't matter, that I shouldn't be angry at God, because to be angry at God meant that you weren't a good Christian. To not understand God meant that you had doubt. And because you had doubt, well, did you ever believe in the first place? Who are you? A good Christian would just believe it, right? God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, amen. And you just go with it. But what do you do when your experience doesn't line up with what you have heard? What do you do when your pain and suffering doesn't make sense? What do you do? And I tried to muscle my way through all of this because I didn't know I could bring it to the Lord. And finally, there came a day where it hurt too much, and I was too confused, and I couldn't do it myself anymore. And I sat down on my couch and I said, If you don't speak to me, I'm done. I'm walking away because the only thing, and I didn't even know where I would go, but I just couldn't do it anymore. And with the sweetest whisper and this sense of hands outstretched like this, right? Because it's this kindness that leads us to repentance. I felt the Lord say, I've been waiting for you. I've been waiting for you to let me walk through it with you. I've been waiting for you because I couldn't come and walk through it with you till you invited me in. He's so good. He won't take over until we open our hands and we invite him into the middle of our suffering. But man, when you come and you invite him in, he is in it. He is in it with you. And this is what resilient faith in our suffering looks like. It's not a withdrawal. It's a running to. And what I didn't realize was that I had this unwritten unilateral contract with God that if I obeyed, if I did what he wanted me to do, well, then he should answer my prayers exactly how I wanted him to answer my prayers because that just, right, makes sense. That's how it works, right? I wish, I wish it was that easy. That's what I thought It's what I expected. And sometimes we can treat God like he is the candy dispenser of blessings, right? When we've we've built up enough righteous rewards, well, then we drop the quarter in and we turn the knob. And out comes what we've asked for. Except when the outcome is not what we asked for, then what we want to do is we wanna say, well, then he's not good. And he doesn't know what he's doing. And I look back and I think, oh, Christine, did you really think so highly of yourself and so highly of your own ways that your good would be equal to God's good? That your way would be God's way that you somehow knew what that should be? Do we think so highly of ourselves? Can we be so short-sighted as to be willing to dismiss the goodness of God just because we don't think We don't get our prayer answered the way we really, really thought it should have been answered. Yes, we can. We can be that short-sighted and we can think so highly of ourselves. Oh, but scripture reminds us his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But this is the temptation of the enemy to tempt you into thinking that because he didn't answer your prayer yet, well, he's not gonna answer it at all. Or because he didn't answer it the way that you thought he should answer it, well, then he's not good. Now, Hannah had a literal enemy telling her these kinds of lies. You're cursed. There's something wrong with you. You'll never get a child. God doesn't want you to have a child. He wants you to suffer all of your life. Now, you and I might not have a literal enemy, but you and I, we sure have a spiritual enemy who is always trying to whisper these lies into your ear, telling you if he hasn't answered your prayer yet, well, then he's not going to. He's not even listening. Why are you still asking for that? Why are you asking for such a small thing when there are so many other big problems in the world? That doesn't even matter to God whispering lies over and over and over just like Hannah's enemy. And he wants us to think that because we don't see the outcome as we expected, we are entitled to that outcome in that particular way. But I want you to know we're not entitled to any particular outcome because God's ways are righteous and not necessarily ours. But what we are entitled to is a living hope through a savior that loves us. We do have a living hope. And our heavenly father, he wants us to build our lives on this rock solid confidence of his son, Jesus Christ, the redeemer of our pain and of our suffering. When our assurances are in God himself and his character and in his faithfulness, which is immutable. It is never changing. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can not only lament confidently before him, but we can also begin to see him using our pain and our suffering to transform our lives into a little bit more like Jesus to a little bit more like his son. And that's what we see God doing in Hannah's life because God will use our suffering to teach us to say amen to his leading. Even when it leads us through hard places. That's what we see in Hannah's story. Let's look at the rest of it starting in verse nine. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me. Do not forget your servant. But if you will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking. For all along, I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. The next choice that you see Hannah make is that she chooses to have resilient faith in the delay. She has resilient faith in the delay. Now the narrator of this story, he brings back Eli because Eli plays a really important part in Hannah's story and in the beginning of Samuel's life. And he circles back to him because Eli, the way that he treats Hannah is indicative of what's going on in Israel at the moment because Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're the priests at Shiloh. They are extremely corrupt priests. And not only are they corrupt, but they begin to lead the Israelites into corruption. And they invite all kinds of unrighteousness into the temple of God. And what we see in the story is that God is going to use Samuel to invoke justice on Eli and his sons. And it's easy for us because we've got Hannah's full story. We have the beginning and we have the end and we have all that comes after it. It's easy for us to look at her story and say, well, look at how God worked it all out. That's fantastic, right? It's easy now because we see the end of her story. But what Hannah couldn't see in the moment is that the delay for her was divine alignment. She couldn't see it in the moment. But her delay was divine alignment because God's answer to her prayers was not a no. And sometimes we assume that that's the answer when we pray something for so long that our prayers are just going unanswered because the answer's no. But God's answer to Hannah was not no, it was not Yet, it was not yet because Hannah's prayer, which was born out of such deep anguish and devout faith to God, it becomes the divinely used catalyst to bring transformation to God's people. Hannah's prayer was what began God's work. And God was going to use the desperation born in Hannah's heart in that moment to purify Israel of corruption, of unrighteousness. But he needed Hannah to get desperate. Hannah had to be so desperate because here's the thing. She kept coming. She threw herself down at the front of the temple and here she is praying out of her deep anguish and vexation and other people look on her and they say, you are crazy. Crazy woman, what you doing? Why are you, why you, why you acting like that in the temple of the Lord? Get out of here. Why are you praying like that? Why are you still believing? Why are you still trusting that the Lord's gonna answer that prayer? You're crazy, right? Why are you acting so desperate? And so not only does she have a Panina and she has an Elkanah, but now she has an Eli. A third person to pile on her and tell her, why are you still going after this? But the Lord was gonna use that unfulfilled and unsettled desperation, that unfulfilled longing on the inside of Hannah. And it said, God remembered her. God remembered her. And I think it says that because Hannah may have felt forgotten for a very long time. And it's easy to feel forgotten when you've been praying something over and over and over without the answer to your prayer. And you're wondering, does he care about everybody else's needs but mine? Does mine even matter anymore? But it says the Lord remembered Hannah. And he responded to her resilient faith. And in due time, Hannah's suffering was completely and fully redeemed by the powerful hand of God. Like I said, we look at Hannah's story and we're like, that's great. God worked it out for her. I'm so happy for Hannah. But let me remind you, your story is not done yet. Your story is not complete. God hasn't written the last page of your story. That's right. And you might feel like he has kept you in a place that you should have moved on from a long time ago. Or you might feel like you're in a place where you have learned all of the lessons he could possibly want you to learn. You have prayed all the prayers. You have believed all the things you're supposed to believe, and but nothing has changed. What Hannah couldn't see in the moment of her prayer was that the waiting in her womb was not a withholding of God's goodness. It was actually a divine delay so that God could release the fullness of his goodness to Hannah and through Hannah for us. That's why his answer was not a no, but a not yet. Because waiting is not necessarily a sign that God is withholding something good from you. It might mean that he is just aligning things ahead of you so that when we receive that which we've prayed for, nothing can stop it. Nothing can stop it. Because if Samuel had been born easily to Hannah, she may never have prayed a prayer of surrender to give him back to the Lord. Had Samuel come sooner than he did and he had been given to the temple for service, then what if he had been corrupted by Eli's sons because he was close to their age? And if he had come sooner, without travail, without desperation, then maybe Hannah never would have prayed the prayer of the Nazarite vow over him, saying that he would be consecrated and set apart as holy to the Lord for the rest of his life. So God's delay was not a no, it was a not yet. It was a divine delay to set up everything so that Samuel came at God's perfect time. But it's hard, this is the tension that we walk when we wanna have resilient faith in the waiting. we want to have resilient faith in the suffering and resilient faith in the delay. We walk the tension between what well, maybe I could just make it happen myself. It is what God wants for me. Maybe I just go after it and God will bless it. Maybe I, I make it happen on my own time, rather than wait for the Lord because I have been waiting for so long, maybe I'm aging out of the promise, you know what I mean? Like, do I need to make it happen on my own? But I think of, of anybody ever played King of the Hill, right? I see kids raising their hands. I haven't played it in many, many years. But when you get to the top of that hill by your own accord, It's up to you to stay there. It's up to you to keep your place at the top. And when we begin to make things happen out of our own flesh and out of our own striving and out of our own desperation to satisfy this longing on the inside of us that is God given, that's good. That's what you're created for. But when you try to fulfill it on your own, then it's up to you to keep it. You get to the top of that hill and you think, well, this is it. Surely this is gonna satisfy everything on the inside of me. And then you realize I've got to keep myself up here because we do it on our own. But when we have resilient faith that can wait on the Lord in the delay, we know that when he puts us into place, when he makes it happen, we don't have to keep ourselves there. He keeps us there. He keeps us in the place that he puts us. Isaiah 22 reminds us that he's the God who opens doors that no man can shut and he's the one who shuts doors that no man can open. I don't want that kind of pressure, but I can trust that if God puts me somewhere, if he fulfills the longing of my heart, then he is the one who will sustain it. I don't wanna do it in my own time, but Lord, I need resilient faith in the delay. Lord, I need faith to trust your timing is perfect, to trust that you remember me. This is what we need. This is what we need resilient faith in the delay to remember that this divine delay on Hannah's life, it brought her Samuel, but Samuel's story, it inaugurates something for God's people that actually prepares the way for you and me to come to salvation. That's what happens in Hannah's resilient faith. And it's because of Jesus that even though we have very real heartaches in this world, we have a hope that will not put us to shame. We have an everlasting hope. And in Hannah's story, you know, she could only throw herself down at the entrance to the temple. That's as far as Hannah could go with her prayers. Because there was no Redeemer yet. But you and I, we have a Redeemer in Christ Jesus. This assures us that he hears us when we cry out to him. He is near to us in our pain and in our sorrow and we don't have to go to a temple or we don't even have to come into a building like this when we are experiencing pain and suffering because he is with us right where we are. He hears you when you are making breakfast for your family. He hears you when you are driving to work. He hears you in every simple moment where you don't even think it matters. But he's near to us in those moments. And not only that, but through Christ Jesus, he's given us his spirit who is called our counselor, who is called our comforter, who is called our helper. And his spirit, it will remind us that in our suffering, he is always loving, even when it seems like he's withholding. His spirit will remind us that he is always good, even when our experiences are really difficult. His spirit will remind us that he is always kind, even when we are so angry. His spirit will remind us that his plan for our lives will prevail in his perfect timing. And his spirit will remind us that we can always trust his hand, even when you can't see his face. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your goodness so surpasses our simple thinking that, Lord, you see the end from the beginning. Lord, you know all of our days and you are faithful until the very end. Lord, I thank you for your word that reminds us that even though we may not see the answers to our prayers yet, that we can trust your strong and mighty hand. Lord, that we can come to you with our confusion and our frustration and all of the things that we may feel on the inside and you do not push us away, Lord, but you embrace us in all of our weaknesses. And Lord, you so graciously walk through life with us. Lord, thank you that you are aligning things even in the delay, Lord. Your hand is on every part of our story. So Lord, would you help us to have a resilient faith that runs to you in our suffering and in our pain and exchanges our burden for your joy, for your peace. Lord, would you help us in the delay to remember that what we've seen you do before, we will see you do again. If you're in this room and you have never given your life to Jesus and you're in this room and you're saying, well, I I am walking through suffering or I have been through things that I've never told anybody and I have felt alone and I have felt like I have no light at the end of the tunnel. I have no light right here where I'm at today. I need this everlasting hope. I need the everlasting hope of Jesus to save me. I'm gonna invite you to say a prayer with me. I'm actually gonna ask everybody in the room to pray this prayer with me. And it's gonna be simple, but it just goes, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again. Today, I give you my life. Today, I make you my savior. Today, you become my everlasting hope. Thank you for saving me, in Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you for the work of the cross, the saving work that gives us hope, not just for the end, but for today. Father, I pray that you would help us be people of resilient faith that live out a life that honors you in everything we say and we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. Or you can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc.